He is so good to us. I think that's going to be really important for us to keep in mind. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's hard for us to keep that in mind uh, because of all the different things going on in our life. Uh, does it seem to you that anger and hatred just it seems to be more prevalent in our society today than it's ever been? To me, it feels that way. It's uh, those of you who are taking a fast from uh, social media are probably noticing uh, a difference in your own attitude when you pull back from some of those discussions, discussions uh, that are online and you just kind of separate, you feel this breath of fresh air because our culture sometimes can be so heavy and hating. Um, the cases of air rage have been increasing. Air rage is when you're on an airplane and someone gets really, really mad and they have to sometimes physically restrain them. Uh, the numbers have actually gone down in the last year, but the number of times that they've had to physically constrain someone has gone up 50% since last year. Just recently, they had a lady who wanted to use the lavatory, but they were getting ready to take off and the stewardesses had said, you can't use the restroom right now and her and her boyfriend just got so mad they literally had to turn the plane around and land back where they came from and have them escorted off by the police and this is not just an isolated event and there is no uh, law that requires airlines to record this so some people think that the numbers are even higher than the ones that were on there our culture is full of people who are angry and sometimes we're the object of that anger. What do you do as a Christian? What are we supposed to do if someone hates us? Someone's angry with us. That's what we're going to look at today as David continues to run away from Saul. And uh, things are going to really heat up for him. So we're going to take a look at 1 Samuel. We're going to start with the end of verse, or I'm sorry, the end of chapter 20. But before we do that, let's pray and ask God to bless us as we look at his word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for being so good to us. And we're sorry, Lord, when we forget that because of our anxiousness, uh, or the afflictions that can distract us from your goodness. Uh, and so, Father, I pray for any child of yours in this room this morning that is suffering under uh, great pressure and affliction, that your spirit would revive them and encourage them as we look at your word, as we pray for one another. Father, do your work in our midst, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen and amen. So things are really heating up. For David, he's got a serious hater after him. The king of the land is chasing after him. Uh, the relationship that David has had with Saul has been kind of up and down. Uh, Saul's son, the prince, Jonathan, has been trying to make things work, but it's just not going to work. And even Jonathan now has realized that there is no fixing this situation. It has gone over the cliff and now David just needs to leave. Let's look at that just for a second. The end of 1 Samuel chapter 20, halfway through verse 41. This is David and Jonathan. And they kissed one another and they wept with one another, David weeping the most. And then Jonathan said to David, go in peace, because we have sworn, both of us, 
in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord shall be between me and you and between my offspring and your offspring forever. So David rose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. So what we're going to see is that David is on the lamb. Uh, he's under some serious situations. And I, I hope that as we look at uh, the physical danger that David is in, that we can kind of see ourselves in that situation. We may not be in physical danger, maybe we are, but the, the spiritual danger, the, the afflictions and the troubles that come from other people and from spiritual uh, enemies. And maybe we can learn a little bit, three things that David did that maybe we can do. He started, our first instinct, our first instinct always is to run and that was David's first thing to do, too. He was out in the field with Jonathan. Jonathan says, brother, man, it's not going to work. You're going to have to run. He does not have a chance to go home because Saul has men looking at his house. He's got to be on the run. So he's got to get supplies from somewhere. And so he runs to a small village called Nob. And that Nob is where uh, the high priest is. Uh, where the, the Ark of the Covenant is, and uh, he's going to get his supplies there. Verse 6, 1 Samuel 21, verse 6. So the priest gave David the holy bread, for there was no bread there but the bread of the presence, which is removed from before the Lord to be replaced by hot bread on the day it is taken. And now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord. His name was Doeg the Edomite, the chief of Saul's herdsmen. Remember Doeg. He's going to come back into this story here in a, in a couple of minutes. So David grabs food, and then later we find out he grabs a weapon. The only weapon that was available was Goliath's sword, which they had kept in the presence of the Lord because the Lord had given them the victory over Goliath. So he grabs this sword, and he grabs this food, and he decides that there's no safe place uh, amidst the Israelites they're going to betray him if he goes to any of the towns because nobody wants to hide secrets from the king, right? So he decides, I'm going to go to the Philistines. I'm going to go to the enemies of Israel. And they'll never look for me there. And they'll never have the, the force to come in and take me away from there. Maybe this is a safe place. So he goes to a city called Gath, which was a Philistine city. Verse 10, David rose and he fled that day from Saul and he went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, is not this David, the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands? And David goes, oh, I made a mistake. <laughs> what I thought was going to be a safe place to run to is not a safe place to run to. They don't see me as a refugee. They see me as an enemy. And now i got to go to plan B. Because <laughs> now I'm actually captured by the enemy. And they want to kill me. What am I going to do? Verse 12, David took these words to heart. Good idea, David. And he was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them, and he pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gate, and he let his spittle run down his beard. He just pretended to be insane, and they believed it. What Israelite would actually just walk into a Philistine city anyway? And we find out later that, that the king was like, what are you bringing this insane person for? Uh, in those days, they probably thought it was demonic. And the king's like, I got enough crazy people working for me. I don't, I don't need another one. 
And so they kick him out. Whew. Okay, so now I'm safe from the Philistines, but I'm back into this trouble I was in before. There is no safe place for me. And so he runs into the wilderness, and he hides in a cave. Chapter 22, David departed from there, and he escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress, and everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. And he became commander over them, and there were with him about 400 men. I, I get the picture of kind of a Robin Hood kind of a thing. Here's an outlaw and other people who are very discontent with Saul's leadership are gathering around him. David's not like trying to encourage this. He's not riling up the masses. He's just running for his life, and other people have heard about it, and they want to join him too. There's a little bit of a sense that, that they know that David really should be king. Maybe this is a safe place for them. David's not feeling very safe. And so, in the end, David decides, I actually have to leave Israel completely. I have to find another land, because there's nowhere that I'm safe. And so, in verse 3, David went from there to Mizpah of Moab. That means he had to cross the Jordan River and go to this foreign land. And he said to the king of Moab, Please let my father and my mother stay with you till I know what God will do for me. And he left them with the king of Moab, and they stayed with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. And then the prophet Gad said to David, Do not remain in the stronghold. Depart and go into the land of Judah. So David departed and went into the forest of Hereth. He was a political refugee. He was scared for his family's life. If Saul had any political sense he would wipe out the entire family of the man who is seeking to take his throne. And so David's family is not safe. So he crosses over into another country where they can find refuge, political asylum. And then God says, don't run away. God says, I want you back in Israel. That's where Judah is. Judah is in Israel. God is saying, David, I have a plan for you. The plan is that you're going to be the king of Israel, and I don't want you hiding. I want you back. Now, when we're under pressure, when we have people hating us, when there are relationship difficulties, when there are financial difficulties, we want to run. And God said, no, I don't want you to run. I want you back there. I am doing something in you. That can't be done if you run. I'm doing something in the nation. That can't be done if you're hiding. Go back. See, we want, to, we want to leave our marriages because they're hard. We want to leave our job because it's hard. We want to leave. We want to run. And sometimes God says, no, escape is not my plan for you. My plan for you is to stay in the heat. Get back into the boiling water. It's where I want you. That's hard. But David, listening to the Lord, trusts him in the midst of affliction and goes back. Incredible. I wish I had that kind of faith. This was a very emotional time for David. David was not a man that stuffed his emotions down. 
He was not a hero kind of like uh, our heroes, our manly heroes, that nothing affects them emotionally. You know, they can defeat the enemy and, and they're made of iron. They're iron-hearted and it doesn't matter to them. They can withstand anything. David was strong. He was courageous. He followed the Lord, but he felt things deeply. And that was healthy for him. It was one of the things that God loved about him. God said, David is a man after my heart. David was a man who wanted his heart, his inner person, to connect with God's heart. And so to do that, you have to be free to feel things. And so as part of this expression, as part of this turmoil, David actually wrote out his prayers. And he put them to music because he was that kind of a person. That's how he expressed himself. And they must have become very popular in his culture, these prayer songs of David. Because someone thought they were important enough. They must have resonated with everybody because they ended up collating them together and writing them down and keeping them. And we have them today. They are so important. They, they reflect the reality of being a human so much that they have been kept and preserved and protected for thousands of years. And we have them in our Bible today. These prayer songs. What was David feeling? What was he doing? What was he thinking? What was he telling himself when he was running? And we have them. I want to take a look at some of them. Because as we look into the heart of David, we can find out what we're supposed to do. When we're under pressure. When we feel relationships falling apart. When we feel uh, hatred, perhaps. Turn with me to Psalm 56. All the other avenues have been tried. And what we see is that David was not just running physically, but throughout all of this, he was actually running to the Lord. David was running to the Lord. When he went to Gath and he ran to Gath, he was running to the Lord. When he went to the cave, he was running to the cave, but he was running to the Lord too. Here's how we know. Psalm 56. Before the first verse. There's an explanation. It says a miktam of David. Miktam is probably some kind of a liturgical word or a poetic word or a musical term, something like that. And it says that this psalm, Psalm 56, is a miktam of David when the Philistines seized him in Gath. Now I'm sure when they held him and said, hey, this is the guy that was killing 10,000. He didn't say, ooh, I'm scared. Let me just, you know, write this down. I got this poem in my mind. I'm sure he probably, you know, wrote it later. But he, in his head, in his heart, in his mind, went right to God. And so this is what he was thinking. This is what he was praying when he was seized by the Philistines in Gath. Verse 1, be gracious to me, O God. For man tramples on me. All day long an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long. For many attack me proudly. Here it is now. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise. In God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? Do you see this process? He first claims the fear. When I am afraid... My fear drives me to God. 
and God drives away my fear. When I am afraid, I trust God. In God, in whom I trust, I shall not be afraid. Something has changed in the inner person of David because he revealed himself to God. He reminded himself of who God was. He put himself in God's hands. God, I don't have anywhere to go. There's no man that I can turn to. I don't know if you feel isolated in your pressure right now, but you can go to God. God, you can go to. There may not be anyone else who understands what you're going through. There may not be anyone else you feel can give you any advice. It may feel like everyone's accusing you, but you can go to God, and God can remove your fear because your trust has been built up in him. Verse 8, Psalm 56. David says, You have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? David says, I'm not alone in my affliction. Child of God, your father is very attentive, very attentive of what you are experiencing. He is high and lifted up and far above us and holy, but he is close to us. Jesus said the same thing when he said, your father in heaven knows how many hairs are on your head. And he said this in the context of do not be anxious. God is very attentive to all the details. He's recording it. God doesn't live in time from one moment to another. He's over all time. So God doesn't forget. It's like he's writing it down in a book. It's like every tear you cry, he keeps and he holds onto it in a little jar. And it's the jar with your name on it. And even those tears that don't actually fall, they just stay in there. God knows those tears too. And he puts it in the jar with your name on it. And he knows what's going on. And he cares about that. And he's paying attention to you. And so when I am afraid, when I am crying and no one is listening, I go to God. And then God will drive out my fear because my trust has been put in my Father who cares for me. You know, when David questioned back in verse 4, what can flesh do to me? Jesus said the same thing. You remember when Jesus was talking to his disciples? He said, now when you go out, people will hate you. When you go out in my name and you spread my kingdom, people will hate you and they will kill you. And Jesus said, but don't be afraid of those who can kill the body. Right? He said, rather fear him who after the body is dead, he can kill your soul and throw it into hell. He said, that's the one you're supposed to fear. So David said, what can flesh do to me? And the son of David said, fear God, not what men can do to you. See, David said that he keeps track of my tears. And the son of David said, he's got all your hairs counted. David ran 
to the tower, the strong name of God. The son of David is that tower, is that name of God that we can run to. And so I don't fear God like, ah, oh, what's he going to do to me? I fear God because he's awesome. And because he's awesome, he can give me safety. He can give me safety. Jesus has made it possible for me to hide in God. Verse 12, David says, still in Psalm 56, I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you. The vows were, if you get me out of here, I will glorify your name. This church is really good at this. This church gives God the glory all the time. I've witnessed you do it here in this sanctuary, right here in this room. At times we've said, stand up if God has saved you, has rescued you from something, and, and you see people giving testimony. I've seen people give testimony at meetings. Tonight we've got another downpour meeting at 4.30 in the Surge Center. It's a time for us to share and give testimony. This is a church that gives testimony to God all the time. Wednesday nights we meet for deeper for our prayer meetings and people are giving thanks for what God has done. This is, this is what God's people do and we do it very well here. The first 13, you have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. God has saved me so that I can walk with him. This is a New Testament idea. It's found in Ephesians chapter 2. Many of us have Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 memorized. Sometimes we forget about the third verse, verse 10. But let's take a look at this. Ephesians 2 says, now remember, David was rescued in order to walk with God. That's what we see in Ephesians 2. For by grace you have been saved, that's the rescue, through faith. And this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. That's the rescue. Here's verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God saved me so that I could walk in Christ and do the good works that he created me to do. The good works wouldn't be possible unless he rescued me first. But because he rescued me, I can now walk in him. I can now serve him. This is, a, this is what we see in the life of every believer. Psalm 34, another psalm that David wrote. Psalm 34, the very beginning, it says, this is what David wrote when he changed his be behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. We don't have time to go over all these psalms. In, in your uh, bulletin today, on the inside back cover, we've listed out the kind of the uh, circumstances of David and then what psalms were written uh, during those situations. And if you're under pressure right now, if you feel like you're being hounded right now, I would encourage you to take a look at all of those psalms. Read them all. Notice the patterns that are there. Notice the honesty that David shares with God about who he is and what he's feeling. 
Notice how he trusts God even before the circumstances change. Notice how his fear turns into praise. And it happens multiple times over and over and over again. We just don't have time to look at all of it. But on Psalm 34, let's look at verse 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. A fiction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. I have yet to hear a prosperity preacher preach on Psalm 34, verse 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. If being born again doesn't save me from afflictions, what good is it? Have you ever wondered that? What good is it to be a child of God if being a child of God doesn't save me from affliction? See, because what, what, what David is saying here is that afflictions are going to come on the righteous and they're going to come on the wicked. The difference is not what happens. The difference is the result of the affliction. The difference between the righteous, who are righteous in Christ, and the wicked, is not who has trouble. The difference is what is the result of the trouble. And it says, David understood this. He said, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him. 21, affliction will slay the wicked. If you are not in Christ today, then all of your afflictions are purposeless. They're going to end in your destruction. But if you are born again, if you have run to Jesus, then you can know that you will be rescued from your affliction. You may have to walk through that affliction, but you will be rescued from your affliction. If you don't know Christ, you need to come to Christ. Our loved ones need to come to Christ so they won't be destroyed. And we need to trust in God when we are afflicted. Oh, another one, Psalm 57. Psalm 57, it says here that, that Paul wrote this one when he fled from Saul in the cave. Psalm 57 took place when, when, when David was in the cave. Again, these prayer songs just resonate with all of us. Verse 1, be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. Reminds me of our memory verse. Be merciful to me, O God, he says. And that's exactly what Bartimaeus said when he saw Jesus. Let's say this verse together. Mark 10, 47. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. This is a prayer that you can pray. Memorize this prayer. And ask the son of David, the tower of David, 
Ask the one whom David ran to, who sheltered David. Ask him to shelter you, and he will do it. He wants to shelter you. When the storm comes and the lightning crashes and the thunder roars and the earth shakes, you run to God. You run to Jesus. And then the storm passes by. You step outside and you see the destruction of the land around you. But you were preserved in the midst of the storm in the midst of the affliction, because you trusted in God. Praise the Lord. Verse 5, David says, Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. I'm not surprised that David's biggest concern in the midst of his own afflictions is that God's name be glorified. We saw that when he confronted Goliath. He confronted Goliath because God's name was being defamed. And he cared more about the name of God than he cared about his own safety. And so in the midst of hiding in this cave, glory to God. May your name fill the earth. Paul and Silas in a jail in Philippi, chained to the walls and the floors, Singing, God be praised. And some of you here this morning, you came in and you may not physically be chained, but you've got this fear hounding you. And you know what you did? You stood up and you said, praise God, as we sang together. This is what God's people do. God's name is primary. Verse 7, Psalm 57, verse 7. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Verse 9. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. David is speaking in exaggerated terms. I'm going to tell the whole world how great God is. David never really did that. But you know what? I believe that his exaggeration, his desire, was a prophecy that's being fulfilled by the church today. That what David just expressed out of just this emotional exuberance, may your name be over all the earth, we're seeing it happen through the church today. That there are people all over the world, in China, in Iran, in jungles and deserts, in rainforests, in cities and in villages, everywhere, saying that God is good and Christ has saved me. Amen. A prophecy that we ourselves are beginning to help fulfill. So this was David. This was David on the run. But as he ran, he ran to the Lord. He ran to God. Two more quick things. What did David do as people were hating him? He, he waited on the Lord. 1 Samuel chapter 22. It's about to get worse. It is about to get worse. Remember Doeg? 
Oh, verse 9. 1 Samuel 22, verse 9. Then answered Doeg the Edomite, who stood by the servants of Saul. So Doeg says, I saw the son of Jesse, that's David, coming to Nob to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub. And he inquired of the Lord for him, and Ahimelech gave him provisions, and he gave him the sword of Goliath the Philistine. And then the king sent to summon Ahimelech the priest, the son of Ahitub, and all his father's house, the priests who were at Nob, and all of them came to the king. This is about to get really bad. Anger has a way of just exploding out. Steve Tran had cockroaches in his apartment. And uh, as he read the instructions for those little bombs that, you know, they send a smoke out into your, uh, into your room to get rid of uh, cockroaches, it said that his apartment needed two of them. And they interviewed him later, and he said, well, I just thought that if I used a lot more, it would last longer. So he took 25 of those little bug bombs and he set them off in his apartment and as the smoke went off, he left. And when the vapors hit the pilot light of his stove, his screen door blew up across the street, his windows all blew out, and his furniture caught on fire. $10,000 worth of damage to his apartment. And the cockroaches, Tran reported, by Sunday I saw them walking around. (laughs) You know, anger is kind of like that. Builds up and then it destroys people everywhere. Hatred is destroying people in our community and in our in our society. And that's exactly what happened here. 1 Samuel 22, verse 17. And the king said to the guard who stood about him, turn and kill the priests of the Lord, because their hand also is with David. And they knew that he fled, and they didn't tell me. But the servants of the king would not put out their hand to strike the priests of the Lord. I'm not going to do what the king tells me to do. I'm not going to strike down the priests. And so Saul turns to Doeg. The king said to Doeg, you turn and strike the priests. And Doeg the Edomite, the man who's not an Israelite, who doesn't give a rip about the temple or worshiping God or any such thing like that or who's anointed by God, he doesn't care. What does Doeg do? He turned and he struck down the priests and he killed on that day 85 persons who wore the linen ephod. And Nob, the city of the priests, he put to the sword. Man and woman, child and infant, ox and donkey and sheep, put them all to the sword. It's getting really bad. Now, there was the son of the priest escaped. They killed 85, but there was this 86th that was able to escape. Verse 20, one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, named Abiathar, he escaped and fled after David. And Abiathar told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord. Again, now we're looking at David in his heart. In verse 22, it says, David said to Abiathar, I knew on that day when Doeg the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul, I have occasioned the death 
of all the persons of your father's house. Stay with me. Do not be afraid. For he who seeks my life seeks your life. With me you shall be in safe keeping. Now remember, we're talking about waiting on the Lord. We're talking about waiting on the Lord. So David wrote another psalm, Psalm 52 at this point. David now feels guilt. See, in my understanding, I'm very simplistic at times, and I want to see things black and white. I want to say, David's the good guy, Saul's the bad guy. The good guy always does what's right. The good guy always follows God. The good guy always knows what to do. And the bad guy's always a jerk, and he's always against God. But you and I know that that's not really true for anybody in the world, is it? You know, just because David didn't, didn't, does it, doesn't mean it's necessarily the right thing to do. And so I, right here, you know, when David ran, when he went, and he knew the guy was there, should he have done something different? Have you ever questioned yourself after something that you did just caused a lot of trouble for you and other people? Have you ever questioned, was that the right thing? I didn't know the right thing. I, and David's got that inner turmoil right there. I'm trying to follow God, but I don't always know the right thing. I'm not perfect. And, and, and this, is, this is our experience too. And so I'd love to go over again all of Psalm 52. But let's just look at uh, verse 8 of Psalm 52. David goes on about how deadly his enemies are and the destruction of their tongue. And then he says in verse 8, he says, But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. I will thank you forever because you have done it. I will wait for your name there it is. I will wait for your name, for it is good in the presence of the godly. You know, David is having this time of self-reflection. Uh, if you're reading along with Downpour, you know that chapter 3 is all about self-reflection. You know, and that's been a good thing for me to do this week as we've gone through that book self-reflection that chapter and we're going to be talking about that tonight at the 4:30 meeting i hope you can make it tonight at 4:30. we're just going to kind of meditate on some of the truths about god's holiness about our own sin how god rescues us and sends us out and we're going to worship together and pray together it'll be a good time and and this is part of what's going on in david's life too and you notice that he is waiting Isaiah 40, 31, those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. I can imagine what David felt when he got the news about the dead priests. Y have you ever gotten that news that it just kind of takes all the air out of you? It takes the meat out of you? You kind of feel hollow? You feel like, I, I don't have anything. I, I, I don't know how to respond to that. I, I've got nothing. I don't know what to think. I don't know what to feel. I just wish it hadn't happened. But those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. God will give you what you need to think. God will give you what you need to do. He'll give you the next step. You're going to walk. You're going to take the next step. And you're not going to grow faint. You will run. And he'll give you the strength to do that. This is what waiting means. Waiting means that you're not taking revenge. You're not taking revenge. I will wait for your name. 
for it is good. And it means that you hang out with other trusters. I will wait for your name in the presence of the godly. Some of you, you come every week because you need to be here. You need to sit next to people who are trusting the Lord with you. You go to Sunday school class because you get to talk to them. They speak into you and you speak into them. You go to the connect group because you can pray for each other. And that's exactly what David was doing here. I'm going to wait on God in the presence of the godly, waiting on God. He ran to the Lord. He waited on the Lord. And lastly, David served others. He served others. As he was running, as his life was was in danger, he served others. I'm telling you, David is boss. He is so cool in 1 Samuel chapter 23. I love this. Now they told David, chapter 23, they told David, behold, the Philistines are fighting against Kilah and are robbing the threshing floors. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, go and attack the Philistines and save Kilah. But David's men said to him, wait, we're afraid here in Judah. How much more than if we go to Kilah against the armies of the Philistines? We're running from the Israelites. Why would we even cause more trouble by attacking the Philistines? And so David inquired of the Lord again. Did I hear you right? Are you sure? And the Lord answered him, Arise, go down to Kilah, for I will give you the Philistines into your hand. And David and his men went to Kilah, and they fought with the Philistines, and they brought away their livestock and struck them with a great blow. So David saved the inhabitants of Kilah. See, David's calling and mission was to shepherd Israel, to protect them and to serve them. And the fact that he was in danger didn't change his mission. He was still called to do that. Satan has at least two strategies to defeat us. One is to deceive us. The second is to distract us. As a church, our mission is to reach people with the gospel. And when afflictions come... We are tempted to say, I need to just focus on this right now. I will serve the Lord when this is taken care of. If you are waiting for afflictions to be over before you commit yourself to the mission of the church, you'll never do it. David continued to serve. He knew what his responsibilities were. And he did them even even though it was scary. I am so proud of this church. Last year, when we were encountering financial difficulties, we still made a commitment to rent a church, uh, rent a building downtown so that we could increase our impact with people who need Christ. Some people might say, no, you don't want to do that right now. You've got you to care for yourself. You've got to make sure financially that you're ready. See, but we decided, the, the people of the church decided, no, we have a mission to do. And our difficulties don't take that mission away. And I believe that in a large part, the reason that we are more financially secure now 
than we have been in six years is because we decided our mission is still our mission and we're still going to do it. Even when it's hard, even when the temptation is to circle the wagons, we said no. And that's what David was doing here. We're in trouble. We're being attacked. But there's still something for us to do. There's still a mission to accomplish. David, you are so boss. I want to be like that guy. So let's just close with this last verse. Verse 14 of 1 Samuel 23. We're going to close David. We're going to leave him where he's at. And David remained in the strongholds in the wilderness, in the hill country of the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day, but God did not give him into his hand. We leave David still on the run. Saul still chasing after him. But God's still holding him in his hand. Some of you this morning, you're going to walk away this morning and you're still going to be hounded. This affliction that's still on you is going to remain. But, but God is holding you. And I don't know, I'm going to just invite you to respond this morning. To run to God this morning. And you can respond in a couple of ways. You can respond right there in your seat. And as, I, as we pray for those who want prayer this morning, you can just stay in your seat. You can raise your hand and let us know that you want us to pray for you. Uh, first service, we had some people stand up because they wanted us to pray for them. You can stand up. You can stand up and come forward if you'd like and kneel down here in the front because you want to say, I am running to God in the midst of my affliction. Is there anybody here being hounded today and you want us to pray for you? Could you just let us know? You can raise your hand. You can stand up. You can come forward any way. Got you, David. Yep. Yep. I want you to look around. It's not embarrassing. I want you to see who's raising their hand so you can pray for them, okay? Okay, raise your hand one more time just so we can see you. Okay, good. Because the people sitting around you, I want them to see. Very good. Okay, we got you. All right, now, if God has ever rescued you, if you've been where those people are, and you remember what it was like, but God has rescued you, I'm going to encourage you just to kind of raise your hand, point it out towards those people. This is your signature that you are praying over them. All right, let's pray for them right now. Heavenly Father, I pray for my brothers and my sisters who are under deep pressure. And I pray that, that their souls would run to you and they would find you strong. And I don't know, Father, how long you're going to want them there. I don't know if you're going to call them back to the pressure or if this is the day that they get relieved. I don't know. You know. But, Father, I pray that they would not feel alone, that they would recognize your great attention to them and that you would renew their strength and that they would praise your name and give you thanks. And I pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Please rise uh, for your benediction this morning. And now may the Son of David, the Lord, have mercy on you in your distress. 
And may your heart be strengthened in the knowledge of his great concern for you. And may your waiting and serving glorify him as he works on your behalf. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you. Hope to see you tonight at 430.